Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. And uh, last week, we began uh, talking about James uh, chapter 2, on the faith that does not save. There is a faith that does not save. A workless faith is a worthless faith. Faith alone saves, but a faith that is alone does not save. Keep repeating these over and over again, these themes uh, that uh, come to us from from the writings of the half-brother of the Lord Jesus uh, James, who's pastoring the first church in the first city there in Jerusalem, and writes probably what is the oldest in the first book, as we call it, of the New Testament. If it wasn't, it was right up there in one of the first one or two. And so it's fascinating, and it's an exciting, the faith that saves, James chapter 2. Well, life, life is certainly a beautiful thing, is it not? The older you get, I mean, in the earlier years, you take it for granted, you know. You're just going to live forever. I remember first time realizing people die. You remember that? You mean we don't live forever? I had a frog that died when I was a little kid. How come he's not moving? You squished him, he's dead. I remember sitting on the curb waiting for Bible school and saw my little kitty cat run in front of me. He got run over by a car, laying there dead. And uh, I remember that when my grandfather, 1962, uh, died the day after my birthday, and I went to the funeral home to, uh, to see him laid out. That's a, that's a startling thing when, as a young child, it begins to dawn on you, what do I mean? It's not like a picture where we're always there together. We'd like that, wouldn't we? Just get everybody together, a great family reunion, and just that's the way we want it. That's not it. That's just a snapshot in time. And we're moving on, and uh, and death happens. Life, then as you get older, and I think when you get older, if you still have your eyes and your wits about and you haven't lost your mind yet, you know, uh, you begin to value sl- and slowing down a little bit because you feel like you got to go, 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 got to get established, got to get this, got to do that, got in, you know what I mean? And busy, right? And I think and it's coming even more so. I appreciate Life in all its forms, whether it's a, a beautiful flower, I stop to try and, and take it in and enjoy the, the wonder of that thing is living. You know, man can uh, know all the chemical co- composites of, of, of that uh, a flower or a dog or, or grass or a pet, your Cherokee or whatever, parakeet, <laughs> or human being. But, and and we, can, we can put it all in, into a Petri dish, but we cannot make life. We cannot. God alone is the giver of life and keeper of life. He is. And so I'm, I'm enjoying it more and more as I stop. You've got to stop and look at the beauty of the flowering trees. The faith these beautiful flowers. She loves her flowers. And some of you do. And, and to see a beautiful bird sitting on a bird feeder. We saw one this week. Beautiful. Stop and look at it. There's a message in all these things. Life is beautiful. It's mysterious. It's wonderful. 
You know, and I, on your sheet I have it, and it matters not whether it's a tree, a dog, a flower, and of course the, the capstone of all life on earth is human life, made in God's wonderful sweet image. Life, if life is found within its being, it's something amazing to behold. When that life is gone, it's dead. It is dead. It is room temperature. You know, someday you're going to be room temperature. You know what that means, right? You're going to be that way. And so so will I, unless the Lord Jesus comes first, and we look for him every single day. Lord, is this the crowning day? We sing that. The Lord is going to come. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. And we look for that day. It'll be like a day like no other day. And we'll go without dying. But if that doesn't happen, we live, as it were, on a cemetery, on a planet, because of Genesis 3, that is bound in headlong towards extinction. There are life forms, so many of them, that are gone forever on this planet of death. And when that life principle is gone, it is dead. Well, Pastor James, in writing this letter, this epistle, to a scattered congregation, expresses his concern for those who were once of his congregation and those who knew his now scattered congregation that they had the kind of faith uh, that, uh, that did not save. They, they professed to know Jesus. They signed a card. They walked an aisle. They prayed a prayer. They whatever, right? But uh, they, had, they gave no evidence of life. James is burdened by that, as a good pastor would be. I told you last week, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be looking for all your noses. That was my mother with her seven kids. All right, line them up. I want to see all your noses here. I want to make sure you're here. And uh, God is calling out a people, and I don't want you to have the kind of faith that does not save. I don't want any of your loved ones to be that way. The faith alone saves, but a faith that is alone does not save. We saw that last, last week. Pastor James is a good pastor. He's like a mother hen, 108 verses, 50-some imperatives. He's very directive here. And, uh, and today we're going to uh, talk to, uh, as we see, uh, this faith uh, that works is the only true faith. It works because it has the principle of Jesus Christ living in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not you working something up. It's not faith plus something you do to be saved. It's, it's the life principle of God who gives the principle of life to all his creation that is living and therefore cannot help but work and be alive and bear fruit. And that ought to be your life. And so it's a time to take inspection of your life. It works uh, because it is alive. It's God's uh, life principle within you. Well, two examples in our text in in James chapter 2. Have you found that? We want to read just these few verses as we launch in in the few minutes that remain and consider. Look at verse 20. You foolish man, James writes, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our, it should be Father Abraham, counted justified or righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. 
You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Then he ends with a principle, and here it is. As the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works or deeds is dead. Well, there are two examples in these few verses that illustrate for us that faith, that is your faith, I trust that it is not, but if it is, you need to understand it, grasp it, and do something about that. Uh, Two illustrations for us that faith without works is dead. For a workless faith is a worthless faith. James says it's useless. Well, Abraham, and here it is. You got the example of Abraham. He is the revered patriarch, the patriarch. I mean, and then you have the second example of Rahab, and she is the redeemed prostitute. It's almost as if James is reaching from one end of the spectrum to the other, and he's saying it doesn't matter if you're of the right blood and the right lineage and, and all of that with all the revere of Abraham all the way down to the other end. Uh, here a harlot, a Canaanite, a pagan, and all that. It doesn't matter. The faith that saves is the faith because of the principle of God within you and I regenerating us and breathing life into us. It is the life of Jesus in us. It gives evidence of it. And there ought to be fruit. And there ought to be fruit all over your life. Sometimes it will be more so, sometimes less, but there will always be fruit. And if that's not the case, then you have the faith that does not save. And don't let the day end without rectifying that. Well, Abraham's faith, Roman number one, is fully revealed in a most difficult test, as we have read. A most difficult test. The pastor, Pastor James, reminds us of the difficult test that God asked Abraham to do. And it reminds us, does it it not, that sometimes the Lord asks us to do some hard things. Sometimes he does. And we we may not understand. But if we've been saved, we are to trust him wholeheartedly. We are to live with a reckless abandon. And God doesn't owe us an explanation. You know, like... Let me see the plan. You know, that's the way we live. Like, Lord, tell me your will for my life, and I'll tell you if I like it. And then maybe I'll do it, right? Sometimes God asks us to do some hard things where the lights go out. Have you had that experience? I have. And uh, he empowers us and strengthens us to walk through those times when we feel like maybe we're all alone. And Lord, why would you? It doesn't make sense to me. I wouldn't have done that if I was God. doesn't make sense to me. Well, our pea-sized brains may not be able to and certainly can't comprehend the, the, the mind of God who works on many, many planes at the same time, all to bring about his purpose to the glory of Christ. And so he doesn't owe us an explanation. He didn't owe Abraham an explanation when he asked him in the midst of this great test to give up that which is most dear to him. And the Lord will do that too. A part of our testing 
and difficult thing is that God may ask you to give up and to surrender that which is most dear to you. You know what Jonathan talked about? We're continually making idols in our heart. You know, our heart is an idol maker, and we have to bit by bit toss them out, surrender them, love the gift giver, and not the gift more than he, the giver. And to help us with that, uh, we need to surrender those things. And that's what Abraham had to do, and James is going to use him as the first of two examples illustrating that faith without works is dead. For a workless faith is a worthless faith. Well, James A., speaking to an imaginary opponent, that's how he begins there in the end of it. You foolish man. You want like, well, is he speaking to me? No, he's still talking to the one saying that he has faith alone. That's where that's coming from. So he's speaking to this imaginary opponent or enemy of, of uh, well, uh, he has faith with no works. And he tells that faith without works is useless. It's the word barren. Some I mean, of you have fruit trees in your backyard and don't you love the beautiful fruit that God provides? It is amazing. The peaches, are, are they about, they're about ready to start coming, right? Anybody have peach trees in the backyard? Yeah, you do? Yeah. All right. Peach trees and pear trees and apple trees. Go down to Adams County, the apple trees. Oh, and what would you do if you had a fruit tree and it bore no fruit? Well, I'd get the chainsaw out. And uh, those fruit trees, like apple, make very good fires. They crack and they pop. You know, it's uh, better than uh, Rice Krispies, I really. I'd cut it down. It's worthless. It's barren, right? It bore no fruit. That's what he's saying here, uh, that faith without works is barren in verse 20. This is the principle he's been driving home to the heart of his people and to us now 20 centuries later. Abraham B. is dearly loved. And he's respected by these Jewish Christians. Remember, the early church was almost entirely Jewish there on the day of Pentecost and the days that followed. And here's Pastor James, who was wonderfully saved after the resurrection. His brother, had brother visited him. We know that in 1 Corinthians 15. He was wonderfully saved. Probably was next in birth order to Jesus. Was saved, and God led him and appointed him. He's, and he's ahead of He's very Jewish. They claimed Abraham is my father, Abraham. And so now for James to mention to these Hebrew Christians or Jewish Christians, uh, the, the name Abraham would perk their attention right away. And he reminds them uh, that Abraham, dearly beloved and respected, he was our father, as the way he puts it. Uh, the NAV, again, has our ancestor, but it's the word father. He's our father, Father in faith and father there of the Jewish nation, he reminds them that the Lord saved Abraham by declaring him righteous, crediting him righteousness based upon his faith. He believed God wholeheartedly. Didn't mean he parked his brains in the parking lot. You know, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is rational. We live in a world where faith and reason are somehow separated. They're not. I mean, when reason contradicts the faith of the world, then we park our brains out there and we trust God. He doesn't have to explain it to us. But faith is reasonable. And here, here he is standing that night in Genesis, I think I have it down on your sheet, in Genesis uh, chapter 15. And there he's looking, uh, and God is speaking to, uh, to Abraham, saying, 
uh, I'm this man who has not had any children with Sarah, his wife. I'm going to make your, you into a mighty nation, innumerable. Now, he's an aged man at this point. He's not, like, young and virile, and I'm going to have a bunch of kids. He's an old man at this point. And, uh, and he said, in fact, God takes him out and said, you know, look at the stars up there. You're going to have uh, more offspring than that. And the Bible tells us in, in Genesis 15, verse 6, and Abraham believed God. I mean, he's the most trustworthy of all, is he? Is he more trustworthy? Is God more trustworthy than you? Absolutely. Is he more trustworthy than me? Absolutely. Is he more powerful than you? Absolutely. So when we say it's reasonable, he's, he's trusting the most trustworthy one who's ever been, who's always been. He is trusting the one who is almighty God, who made the stars. So it's, is it not completely rational to say that's reasonable? God said it, and that's it. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Uh, and yet he's an old man now, dried up. His wife is dried up. She's not in any menstrual cycle. Her womb is closed and all the rest. And God said, I'm going to give you a nation here. Wow. He didn't say, explain it to me. He fell into sin and tried to help it along, and that made a mess. That's where we got the whole Arab nations and all that from, from Ishmael to Hagar, the uh, handmaid. God said no, though he treated him kindly and took care of Hagar uh, and Ishmael. No, uh, that's not what I had in mind. Uh, I have something miraculous here, and, uh, and, and you will see it. And, uh, and so, he, so uh, Abraham completely trusted God for this son. God promised that he'd give him, uh, 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 give him uh, a, a number of offspring more than uh, the stars in the heaven. Well, now, number two, 30 years after his salvation, when it was credited to him for righteousness, that is his faith, now he has a son. God has provided this son, and his name is Isaac. And some of you know the account better than others. Uh, well, let me just say this. Here's the test that James is alluding to 30 years after uh, Abraham is saved. Now he's uh, 99 years old, uh, or, or, or he's beyond that, and the Lord commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son. He's much older than 99. And God says, I want you to give Isaac, uh, go up on Mount Moriah. Incidentally, that's where the temple would eventually be built, there in Jerusalem. It's the place where God appointed that his people should meet. It's in the in the same vicinity where the Lord Jesus was, was uh, slaughtered there on the cross and crucified, uh, where God's appointed atonement once and for all would take place. And God commands Abraham that you are to offer your son. Now, that was a contradiction of the word. God never had human sacrifice, and yet the Canaanites practiced it all the time. They burned their kids up as an appeasing offering to God. Some of the pagan, godless, satanic religions of that day. And you'll never find that in the Word where, in fact, God rebukes it. He calls it an abomination. And now Abraham is told by God, go offer your son. And Abraham knew that was a contradiction to God's Word, uh, that thou shalt not kill be a cause to put to death. 
and uh, but I couldn't figure it out. But he wholeheartedly trusted God. He evidenced his genuine faith by what he did. That's the point. This Isaac is called the son of promise. Now keep your finger in James because that's our text. But I want to show you a couple of passages in the time. Look at Genesis 22. This is the the account now when now Abraham is uh, told by the Lord to, uh, to offer his son. Genesis 22, verse 1, and and sometime later, God tested Abraham, that's the test James is referring to, and he said, Abraham, here am I, he said, then God said, take your son, your only son, that's Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will tell you about. Now, I love the next verse. Early the next morning, I don't know what you would have done. Would you have lingered? Would you have taken your time? I remember the time I was getting married. Uh, we were leaving Buffalo as a family to drive down to Philadelphia and, and move into wedding rehearsal and the wedding. And, and I was the first in our family to get married with seven kids. And my dad, was he was a love faith and was excited for me, but was lamenting the day and the changes that would take place that uh, I no longer would be as I had been for those 21 years up to that point, and it would forever change. And, and he was like lingering in the morning, slow, eating his Wheaties and reading the paper. Come on, Dad, I want to go to, we're, we're going to Philadelphia. I'm going to get married here. We, I, 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 I'm a young stallion. I want to get down there ASAP. And he was just like moving slow-mo. Right, not wanting the changes, and he was right. It forever changed, right? It forever changed. Not, and here's Abraham. Now you're going to offer your son. Now you love your son more than anything, right? You love him more than me. And God put Abraham to the test, and he was uh, he he early the next morning. He so wholeheartedly trusted uh, our Lord in heaven. That he was willing to follow through, even though he didn't understand. He was clueless. Even though, even though, we don't find God giving him, well, this is what I'm going to do, you know. Okay, are you in? Huddle, break, let's hike the ball. and go. No, he didn't know. And he was faithful. He trusted God wholeheartedly. That's what God wants you to do. And you'll evidence that in your life if you have the life principle of Christ within who has regenerated you. You'll walk by faith, not by sight. It reminds me of David, doesn't it? When he was, uh, uh, God put it in his heart to face Goliath. How about that? That vile Philistine, God will make him like, right? And what did he do? I love that text in Samuel. He ran toward the enemy ran so hard. He ran towards him. I don't know if I've been hiding among the trees and the rocks, moved my way down the mountain to meet this giant nine-foot guy, great NBA prospect, and throw a stone, right? Hopefully I, I can hit him, right? He ran instantly. I love that. Early the next morning, early, Abraham got up, settled the donkey, took 
uh, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he, no, Now listen now. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy, Isaac is probably 16, 17 at this point, I and the boy will go over there, we will worship, and then, notice, circle it, we will come back to you. How, how can, I mean, God said you're going to offer, offer, offer your son. And Abraham is, why didn't he say, I will come back to you? You get the gist of that. He believed God. And so Abraham, this, this account is so wonderful. Abraham took the word, the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. Now imagine that. He would have tied Isaac up and put the, laid him on the altar, put the wood there. I mean, uh, must have been a tear streaming down his face. And he, carried a, he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, listen to Isaac now, verse 7. Isaac spoke up, said to his father, Abraham, father, father, he said, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh. That's where it comes from. God himself will provide. He will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. The two of them went on together. And Abraham built an altar, and there he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife. I mean, we're talking high drama here. Real life, real history, real trust in God. He was going to slay his son. But at the right moment, timing is the backbone of everything, of your Bible, of God's work in our lives, even as Debbie May mentioned this morning in her own life. And at that exact moment, the Malak Elohim, the angel of the Lord, it's the pre-incarnate Jesus, shouts out, Abraham, Abraham. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't harm him. Don't do anything to him. And now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. How about that? And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide on the mountain of the Lord. Wow, that's a test. Would you say that's a test? That's an enormous test. That's the test that all these Jewish Christians knew about that James was writing on. He said, look, Abraham did not have the kind of faith that just said, oh, I believe it, and it made no effect, no impact in his life. Now, this is important, this text, because you see there would be, centuries later, another father would give his son. And in absolute obedience to his heavenly father, the Lord Jesus Christ, would drink that cup right down to the very dregs, doing the father's will. And the father uh, offered his own son and this typified and predicted and 
and pointed to the coming of Jesus on that same area for your sin and mine. Abraham was allowed to spare the life of his son, but God did not spare his own son, the lamb that he provided for you and for me. Wow. Powerful. It is the faith that works. It's the faith that evidences the life principle of God within. That's genuine saving faith. That's the faith that saves. It's not some easy believism sort of thing. It makes no difference. You could be a member of Rotary. You could be a member of the Kiwanis or the Lions Club or whatever else. And, and it's like no different to membership in a church. I'm saying that's, that, is, that is a sad situation. But that's not genuine saving faith. And I would be very concerned if when you think about your own life, wait a minute, I, I prayed a prayer, I trust the Lord, but I, there doesn't seem to be any life principle in me. The gathering together of God's people, the serving the Lord, the, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit blossoming and growing in your life, and, and bit by bit growing and saying, oh, John, he must increase, I must decrease. And being living as a giver, not a taker, and being a blessing to all, and loving people deeply, not only in the church, and we need to do that from the heart, like Peter says, but all people, and the love of Christ flowing through you. That's what he's talking about. That's the faith that saves. What a, what a difficult test. I remind you again that uh, Isaac's birth was, birth was supernatural. He was a son of promise. Sarah was 89 years old when she, sure, when she heard by that visitation in Genesis 18 that she's going to, in a year from now, bear, us, bear a baby, bear a son. And Abraham, he's chuckling away. Sarah, she's in the tent listening to the conversation outside. Life doesn't change, right? And she's laughing. Now I'm old, and you're going to give me a son? It was a miracle. A miracle. What's a miracle? It's something beyond us. We can't do a whole lot. Have you noticed? I have a hard time walking anymore. We can't. You know, like, well, that's supernatural. Well, what's that mean? Well, is anything too hard for God? I've I got to turn you to that passage. Turn to Genesis 18. I'll just remind you of this again. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to rush this. We're going we're gonna to bring Rahab in next week. I'm not going to rush us through this. We had three wonderful testimonies and celebration today. I just, um, this, this is so marvelous what, uh, what uh, James is teaching, and I don't want to just run over it quickly. Uh, in uh, Genesis 18, this is the, uh, this is the account of the visitation. Uh, again, this is the Lord Jesus. He's, uh, he's the one visiting with two angels, and they appear as men. There's an appearance of men there, and you can study that and see that. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a wonderful accounting uh, there in Genesis 18, uh, in verse 1, where the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. And uh, three men uh, approach Abraham, and we know now that two of these are the ones that, the, that were angels that looked, appeared as men that uh, destroyed, in, in, in short order, the cities of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the other three cities there, but one that was with them, was, uh, who appeared as a man, was uh, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. 
That's the Lord. That's the one in Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham. That's what he's talking about. And it's the Lord that's talking to Abraham. And Abraham's going to be a good host in verse 6. Go, he urges them to stay. He's going to fix them some food in that great ancient Near Eastern hospitality day. And so they didn't have McDonald's and Burger Kings down around the corner. And so you took care of people. In fact, you protected them if they came even to your house. They were your guests, and it was a sacred duty to do that. And so Sarah goes, and she makes a, a quick meal. She rustles something up. You know, I don't know if it's leftovers or what, but she gets it all prepared. Verse 7, I'm in Genesis 18, verse 7. And uh, then they sit down and they eat. And then verse 9, uh, the Lord says to Abraham, where's your wife Sarah? Uh, they, the three of them, I guess, asked. They're in the tent, a big, large tent. Uh, typical Arab uh, Bedouin style. And then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, she's 89. He's 99. Now, we talked about these are real numbers. The, uh, the lifespan has shrunk way down. We're way past Noah now, not like those early chapters before the flood. I mean, she's really 89. He's really 99. And it's been many years since God promised him a seed. So you get the context there. Look at, and now Sarah's listening uh, at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah, if you, if you didn't figure it out, he says it even more. She was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. Can you see this old lady laughing to herself as she thought? After I'm worn out, and not only her, and my master is worn out, <laughs> he's an old guy, they're leaning on a stick, right? A walking stick, that is. And will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, don't you love this, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Look at verse 14. It's one of the great verses in the Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I had a, I had a professor in college. He's now in heaven. The first time I ever saw that, uh, he taught clearly uh, this passage. And I kept, this is, a, this is a gold nugget among gold nuggets here. Is anything, is anything too hard for the Lord? You think anything's too hard for the Lord? And he is going to, he's going to demonstrate the reality of that by causing an old man to inseminate his wife, to open her womb, to allow an egg to roll out, be fertilized, and have the strength not only to carry nine months, but to deliver a baby. And I remind you, ladies, they didn't have saddle blocks and everything else. to deliver a baby, and... Uh, and that was the son of promise. That was supernatural. That was something only God could do. And so in rhetorical form, it, it, I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not. I will return to you next year, and you're going to have a son. Now Sarah's afraid. And so she lied. <laughs> I didn't laugh. Like the Lord heard her laugh. He heard. She's behind the tent. Can you see as she mixed the meal? They're out there. The men are talking. What are they saying there? What? You know, and she's chuckling to himself, herself. 
And I didn't laugh. She's embarrassed. Yes, you did laugh. You see, the Lord calls her up. I heard you laugh. Do you know Isaac? What's Isaac's name mean? Laughter. Is that something? God wanted always her to remember. And Abraham laughed in the previous chapter when God said this was going to happen, uh, that uh, you laughed in unbelief. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you need to hear that today as we talk about the faith that saves. Maybe that's why we're camped on that a little bit here this morning, that uh, the ongoings and things in your life, you need to know that there's nothing. There is nothing. It doesn't matter if it's like Debbie May, who had a, an aneurysm or two, uh, or uh, some bereavement with Lynn and her dear family, uh, some of you with work, and some of you with other ailments and other heartbreak and other issues, you need just that encouragement again, that reminder that uh, the Lord is God in nothing. There is nothing, nothing too hard for him. Nothing. Well, she laughed. This is a, a, an A. This, this offering of Isaac was the work that James had in mind. And we'll continue. We're going to continue this next week as we continue to develop Abraham. We want to have a little time for festivity and celebrate uh, uh, Barbara and, uh, and all that she did. But let's look at a couple lessons for life, and, and we'll, we'll do this if you'll allow me to do a, a part one, part two of this message. Keep your hand out, and I promise you uh, we'll, we'll finish this next week. Let's, what are some lessons for life that we can say at this point? If you are genuinely saved, your life will show it. It will show it. You'll love to be with God's people. You'll want to hunger and read the Word. You'll find out where the food is and the feeding spiritually. And uh, because you're alive, you'll come and you'll eat and you'll grow. You will. You will. I was a teenager and growing up and hungry all the time as a young man growing, involved with sports and everything else. And I always knew where the refrigerator was. There's food in there. And there's food in the cupboard. And I knew where it was, and I found it. And if I had a few bucks in my pocket back then, I knew where the fast food was, too. And a couple of times a day. And if you're saved, you know where the food is. It's in the Word of God. You're going to open your Bible. Okay? You may have got out of the habit. You'll start up again. You need to do that. And you'll, you'll gather at worship. This is the highlight of the week. It's not like, eh, will I, will I? No. That may indicate you're not saved. You'll be there. And you'll encourage others by your presence to be here. And actually, that's why you ought to join, among other reasons, is that people are encouraged that you're here and they're here. You say, well, it's just me. I'll stay home. No. You'll know where it is. You'll go for the feeding. There's life in you. If you're genuine saved, your life will show it. Fruit and works. It'll be everywhere. Number two. Number two, second thing, it, it's a sobering reality that all who profess faith in Jesus Christ will not be saved. That is sobering. That's scary. There's a heaven, there's a hell, that's it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the Lord Jesus. Because he died. One who, uh, whose father gave him and didn't provide another substitute who died in Calvary for us. Number three. Number three, more, a mere mental agreement uh, of the knowledge of the gospel does not save. You need more than to simply know the facts 
uh, that Jesus came, and oh, that's what Christmas is, and oh, I get chocolate at Easter, and, 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 and uh, uh, jelly beans, and all that. And yeah, that's right. We sing those songs. It's more than that. It's more than that. You see, you must uh, understand these things, but you must receive Christ the Lord through repentance and faith as God opens your heart. That's saving faith. It makes a difference. That's the faith that saves. That's the faith that Abraham had. He believed God wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. One man writes about uh, long before Jesus' death, Abraham and Rahab were willing to take up their crosses, as it were, and to follow him. They did, both of them. Number four, we are saved by faith alone, but a faith that is alone does not save. You know that. And number five and last, let me urge you, if you are here and you realize that you've never trusted Christ the Lord, or whatever it all happened, maybe you prayed with your mama, maybe it was this, maybe that, but there's no evidence, there's no work, there's no life principle, that beautiful thing of life within you, the life of Jesus, then you're not saved. And the most loving thing I could say, I've had people upset that I would say that through the years, I don't like that when you say that. It makes me nervous. Maybe I'm not. And that's the point. That you would think about that and that you would do business with God and you would lay your soul bare before the Lord, confessing your sin and just inviting him to save you. It's the heart of a yearning pastor for you that in a small way represents the heart of a yearning God who calls you to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's the life principle. That's part one of the faith that saves. And we'll finish our thoughts with Abraham. We'll look at the second example of Rahab, the harlot, next week. And I trust God will use us in a powerful way in these days.